Our uh, second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1,526. We also have the words on the screen for you, I believe. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it become like little children. What does it mean to be great? By whose standards do we judge such a thing? Think about the, the great people in our society. In the world of athletics, there's Michael Jordan and, and Tom Brady and, and Tiger Woods, all thought to be the greatest in their respective sports. Or how about the, the great entrepreneurs of our day? Men such as Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos. Each of them have, have made a name for themselves in the, in the tech industry and, and by earning massive fortunes. But when we talk about greatness within the kingdom, what we are talking about is true political power. Rulers of, of empires. You see, a kingdom does not become great without a great man leading the way. A man like Cyrus, a man like Alexander, or Julius Caesar. These were all mighty men who, who led their kingdoms into greatness. They each had a, a vision of how they, how they wanted to shape and form the world. And for the, for the most part, through, through sheer will, they were able to see their visions come to light. But here's the problem. The, the visions of those men, they didn't last. Each of their empires eventually fell. Why? Because greatness, as it is regarded by human standards, is fleeting. It is here one day and, and gone the next. I mean, think about all those great kingdoms of the past. Egypt, Persia, Babylon, Greece. All are now ancient history. Or think of the, the great nations today. Russia, China, and the U.S. They, they may have strength now, but even nations such as these will eventually fade in the distance. And how does one measure how, how, how great a nation is? Is it solely based on military might? By how much land is, is conquered? Or should we look at their economies too? How wealthy are their citizens? Are they living in poverty? Or, or do they have comfortable homes and, and food on the table? But there's more to life than just money. What about their achievements and the arts and the sciences? Have they made breakthroughs in, in modern medicine and in engineering? What have they accomplished in the pursuit of human flourishing and advancement? 
And what about the morality of a nation? Where does, where does that fit in? There, there is a whole segment of our, of our society, society today that are they're tearing down statues of, of men who we once revered but are now seen as villains. They may have been great during their day, but, but their greatness has lost its luster. Here's the thing. The greatness, according to the world's standards, is, is a fickle beast. For what is acceptable one day is, is condemned the next. And as fast as a person's star can rise, it can fall just as quickly. But what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? What are the standards that, that God looks for for greatness? Today we have come to what is known as the fourth major discourse in Matthew's Gospel. And it is coming off the heels of a, of a dramatic change in Christ's ministry. For Jesus had shifted his focus from, from that of revealing the kingdom and, and who he is, which is the Christ, the King, to demonstrating to his disciples the purpose of his coming and how his kingdom will be built. This Son of God, this Messiah, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And likewise, any who would follow after him, any who would call themselves his disciple, they must take up their own cross and be willing to lose their life for the sake of their king and his kingdom. For that is how the kingdom will ultimately grow. God's glory would be demonstrated through suffering. This is a difficult message, one in which these disciples were having a hard time understanding. For if you recall, the, the, the plan that Jesus had laid out had filled their hearts with grief. But why was that the case? Why, why couldn't they see beyond Jesus' death and grab hold of his resurrection? It is because they are still focused on an earthly kingdom. A kingdom where might and strength wins the day. A kingdom where the, the Romans would be ousted and, and Jesus would sit on his throne in Jerusalem, ruling over them. But how could that happen if Jesus was dead? Though these men had recognized who Jesus was, that he was their king, they had yet to comprehend how his kingdom worked. And because they didn't understand the kingdom, they failed to understand Christ's mission. And this becomes evident in the question that they, that they had asked. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, their, their, their focus was on worldly strength and not on the strength of God. Well, Jesus, never being one to waste an opportunity, used this question as a springboard into this fourth major discourse where he would explain to his disciples what true greatness was really about. You want to know who is the greatest? Well, let me show you from God's point of view. Now, if one were to outline this sermon, it, it could be broken down into four sections where, where Jesus lays out four traits that makes a person great in the kingdom of God. 
In verses 1 through 4, Christ, Christ uses a child to, to show that, that one must first have humility to even enter the kingdom. Then in verses 5 through 11, he, he demonstrates that this humility should lead to hospitality. In verses 12 through 20, he takes it even further by saying that, that a hospitable heart will ultimately show compassion. And finally, in verses 21 through 35, Jesus speaks to forgiveness, the end goal of that compassion. These are the, the four traits that define greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And they are the, the, the four traits upon which that kingdom would be built. Today we're going to focus on the first trait, humility. Look with me again at verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When I was young, barely a, a teenager, I, I wanted to be the next Isaiah Thomas. And so I spent endless hours in my driveway practicing, working on my ball handling skills and, and, and my jump shot. I wanted to be better than the next guy, and so I, I put in the work. But why did I want that? What was it that drove my ambition? To be honest, it was my pride. I wanted to be noticed by the, the, the people around me. I wanted to be praised by them. I wanted to have my life validated by what they thought. But it's not just validation that can drive a person towards worldly greatness. It could be the enticement of riches, or perhaps the desire for power. There are, there are many things that can make a, a person reach for greatness. But whatever the motivation, greatness was on the minds of these disciples. This is why they asked the question that they did. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So what's going on here? What would cause these men to pose this question to their master? From Mark's gospel, we know that these men had been arguing beforehand over which of them was the greatest. But why were they doing this? Again, this, this goes back to Jesus' mission. Two times now he has told them that he was going to be killed. And while this grieved them greatly, it also caused them to wonder, what would happen if Jesus was right? What were they going to do if their master really was dead? Who then would fill his shoes? Who among them was the greatest? Would it be Peter? After all, he was the only one who stepped out of that boat and walked on the water. And he was the one who made that good confession that, that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God. But, but he was also the one who, who got rebuked the most by Jesus. Christ even at one point called him Satan. So, so maybe not Peter. How about James or, or John? Weren't they the ones whom, whom Jesus chose to, to go up that mountain with him? Perhaps one of these brothers should be considered the next in line. Of course, James was older, so wouldn't he be the logical choice? But what about Judas, the one whom Jesus entrusted with all the money? Certainly he was a faithful servant. Maybe he should be the guy. 
You can imagine how a conversation like this might go. Endless comparisons over their achievements and skills. What, what was the pecking order when it came to the twelve? But let's be honest with one another. Don't we do the same exact thing? Don't we like to, to size each other up and see where we rank? What was my grade on that last test? Did I do better than my classmates? What kind of athlete am I? Am I a star player or do I, do I sit the bench? What is my position at work? Do I have a lot of authority or am I just, just a peon? How much money do I make? Is it more than the next guy? We have become really good at, at measuring one another by these worldly standards. And unfortunately, this, this tends to be where we get our value as well. This is, is nothing more than sheer pride. It, it is looking away from God and, and how He sees you and looking to the opinions of men and finding your worth there. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. These disciples were using worldly scales to measure their greatness. And out of their pride, they, they, they were doing their own political maneuvering. They were trying to figure out which of them would, would, would take over if, God forbid, Jesus was right and he had left the scene. But they couldn't come to an agreement on who among them was next in line. And so they wanted to get Christ's opinion on the matter. Of course, they couldn't just come out and say it. They didn't want to offend their master. And so they devised this question that, that would give them the answer that they were looking for without pointing to the fact that they were already arguing who would take over once Jesus was gone. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is how our world works, is it not? The struggle for power, the battle for recognition, the maneuvering to get our own way. It's out of hubris and, and pride that we desire to know where we stand. How much do I control? And can I get just a little bit more? Jesus knew what was going on. And he knew the hearts of these men. And he knew that, that their desire for greatness, if it continued, it would be their downfall. And so he used this as an opportunity to teach them a lesson of what true greatness really is. Of what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 2. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Standing a child before them, Christ was, was turning upside down their preconceived notions of what it means to be great. Now the Greek word that is translated as little child is, is paideon. And it refers to an infant or a child that is very, very young. Most likely this was, was a toddler, perhaps two, three, four years old. You, you see, the, the, to the world, little children such as this, they were the opposite of great. 
They were weak. They, they, they were powerless. Unable to, to care for themselves and ultimately dependent on their parents for pretty much everything. Those of you who have or have had little children know, know exactly what I'm talking about. Think about when they were real young. What would they do when they, when they were scared or found themselves in a strange setting? They would cry out for either mom or dad. Would they not? And once they had found that parent, they, they, they would reach up because they wanted to be held and protected. Why did they do this? It's because they knew exactly who they were. That they were weak and vulnerable. And that they could do nothing to help themselves if something went wrong. But they also knew how big and strong mom and dad are. They, they knew of the love that mom and dad had for them. That they would protect them from all the scary things in this world. They were the ones that they could trust the most. And so they would, they would reach out for mom or for dad, knowing that if they could just be picked up, then they would be cared for and safe. What you see in a, in a little child is humility personified. A humbleness that leads to a simple faith. For a little child understands their place in life, that they are needy, that they are helpless. And it is in that neediness that they, they look to their parents for comfort, care, and protection. Jesus was now telling his disciples that if they wanted to even enter the kingdom of heaven, that they must change. They must become like little children. In other words, they too must understand how lowly they are and the need that they have that can only be met by their Father in heaven. Do you see it? Greatness in the kingdom is demonstrated by the weakness of the individual. And so this desire that these men had to be significant, it must be destroyed. Because that's not how the kingdom works. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says this, But God chose the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are. I mean, think about it. Who were these men? They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. These were not great men. And yet, for some reason, Jesus chose them. It is in our, in our nature to think that God chooses us because of something that he sees within us. That there is this greatness just waiting to burst forth. But that's not the case. That's not how the kingdom works. No. God chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He, he picks the lowly things, the despised things, and things that are not. You are, are not all that great, and, and neither am I. We are like toddlers. Little children that cannot care for themselves. 
And yet, Jesus chose us anyways. And he did so in order to shame those who think themselves to be great. Last week, we talked about what it meant to be a son of God and to be exempt from the, the temple tax, that, that ransom fee that is placed on our heads. But why are we exempt? Because Jesus paid the cost that we could not pay. Like little children that have no money, we are unable. Dear friends, entrance into the kingdom can only come when a person lets go of their pride and looks to Jesus. Perhaps you have joined us today and, and you are asking yourself, what must I do to enter God's kingdom? Well, let me tell you, there's nothing that you can do. There is no great thing that you can achieve that will seem great in God's eyes. Rather, you must become like a little child, knowing that you are weak and that only Jesus can save you. For the kingdom of heaven is made up of little children. Those who, who understand that they are not great and that they are in need of a mighty, mighty Savior. Listen, uh, apart from Jesus, there will not be one citizen in the kingdom who will be able to stand on his own two feet. Instead, they must humble themselves and allow Jesus to lift them up. They must become like that, that little child who knows that only mom and dad can rescue them. In the same way, only Jesus can rescue you. Thus, uh, the one who knows his need most deeply and looks to God's provision most earnestly is the one who will be seen as great in the kingdom. Look at, look at verse 4. Look at our last verse. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see it? The, the, the kingdom is not about your glory. It's about God's glory. And so in order to be great, you must become weak. For it is the weak vessel in which the greatness of God can shine forth. Take your focus off yourself and look to Jesus. Stop worrying about being great, about being that somebody, and become a little child. Only then will you be able to see true greatness, kingdom greatness. For only then will the, will the power of God become evident as he uses your weakness to magnify his strength. And what does that greatness look like? It looks exactly like Jesus. After all, he is the very one who, who, who humbled himself more than any other. And he did so in order to rescue you. Christ humbled himself by becoming a man and entering into our world. Christ humbled himself by suffering the scorn of men. Christ humbled himself by dying that shameful death on the cross for your sins. Christ humbled himself because he didn't worry about his own glory, but looked to glorify his Father in heaven. And if this is the example of our King, 
then let us follow in his footsteps. Stop worrying about being great and become like little children. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is. And he is deserving of all your praise. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you that that we have an overabundance of pride. We look to be validated by the things of this world instead of looking to you. We ask now that you would humble us. Make us like little children. Pour out your Holy Spirit that, that we might trust in your Son and Him alone. And let our weaknesses become evident so that your greatness can shine forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.